I'm wondering if as we start this morning, you might sing a song with me together. Okay, you'll, you'll catch on pretty quick. The B-I-B-L-E. Come on. Yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God. The B-I-B-L-E. Bible. Then anyone go, ugh, at the end. My kids love that part. The Bible. What is it? Growing up, I, I was told that the Bible stood for basic instructions before leaving earth. That it was this manual for moral living on earth until you go to heaven. It's not what the Bible is, though. I was also told that the Bible is holy. And it was so holy, in fact, and it is holy, but it was so holy, in fact, that it couldn't touch the ground. Couldn't have anything on top of it. Like nothing could be near. Like I remember as a kid like being scared to open it. Like it was so holy. I had the otter box of Bible covers in the first grade. And, and I'm telling you, in my Christian elementary school, Bible covers were a statement piece. Like it, it was how you gained popularity if your Bible cover was cool. And my cover did not, no one touched the cup, no one touched my Bible, not even me. I don't think that's what is meant by holy. I also learned that the Bible was a book of answers about everything in life. Because I was always asked, well, what does the Bible say? And again, not a bad question, but I was always asked asked it when I wanted to know or learn something. For instance, I wanted to know about girls and how to talk to them. What does the Bible say about that, Sam? I can tell you what the Bible did not say. The Bible definitely did not say, Sam, to woo your fifth grade crush, give her a a CD with all love songs on it. Because I did that. And it did not go well. And it was one of the more embarrassing parts of my life. I'm still unpacking it in therapy. I may have read into the Bible a little too much on that one. The Bible. What is it? This one book with 66 books in it, written by at least 40 authors in three languages over 1,400 years. This book that's been the number one bestseller since September 21st, 1522, when Martin Luther brought around 5,000 copies of it to a book fair in Germany. And now 20 million Bibles are sold each year, and that comes out to about 55,000 a day. This book that's on an app that I don't even have my phone that we could pull out that has over 2,000 versions and is accessible in over 1,300 different languages in your pocket. This book that has spoken truth and wisdom and given comfort and hope to so many throughout history. I know it's given hope and comfort to me. I can remember sitting where you were sitting as a freshman at Dort and being pretty lonely, being from Texas and far away, and I would cling to Jesus' words, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Or I can remember when my wife and I, Gail and I, went to our first doctor's appointment Uh, For our first kid, and we heard the words, there's no heartbeat. And instantly my heart was crushed, but felt like my whole body fell into Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Because you 
are with me. What is this book? What is the Bible? The Bible is one of the results of God's voice. The Bible is God's written word. Paul tells us in 2 Timothy, all scripture is breathed out by God. The psalmist writes in Psalm 119, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. And Jesus, all throughout the Gospels, quotes scripture and leads Bible studies. And that's what I want to look at in Luke 24, is Jesus leading a Bible study. So if you have your Bibles, open up there to me. Luke, open up there with me. Luke chapter 24. And as you turn there, let me summarize the scene for you. Jesus has died. His followers have scattered. And now Jesus has come back to life. And on the very day that Jesus rose from the dead, two followers of Jesus were walking from Jerusalem to a town called Emmaus. And while these two were walking, Jesus shows up and joins them. But scripture tells us their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And Jesus asks these two, well, what are you talking about? And the two were shocked that Jesus did not know what had taken place over the last few days. And Jesus, playing dumb, asks, what things? What things? The two disciples respond. This man from Nazareth who had preached and did miracles. The man who we thought was going to be the Messiah. Well, he died. He was killed, and it's been three days since it happened. But we went to the tomb, and he was gone. And listen to how Jesus responds to them. And remember, they do not recognize him. They don't know that it's Jesus. And Jesus says this in verse 25. O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus doesn't hop on this scene with these two disciples and say, hey, it's me. It's Jesus. I was dead and now I'm alive. Surprise. No, what he does is he takes extensive time for Bible study. He contextualizes his life, death, and resurrection in all the scriptures. It'd be like the best Bible study ever. Jesus went to the written word, the Bible, to teach these two disciples about himself. Jesus was committed to the Bible. And I think Jesus' commitment to the Bible in Luke chapter 24 says a lot about what the Bible is. So what is the Bible? First, the Bible is a library of books that tell a story. Notice that in verse 27, it says this, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted all the scriptures. You see, Moses, 
the prophets, and all the scriptures refers to the Hebrew Bible. And in this context, Jesus is talking about the Old Testament, just to be clear. The New Testament had not been written yet. And in Hebrew, this was called the Tanakh, which was an acronym for all the books of the Bible. You had the Torah, or the Law of Moses, right? Those were the first five books of the Bible. You had the Nevi'im, or the prophets, which were the historic books and the prophetic books. And finally, you had the Ketuvim, or the writings. Basically, everything else in the Old Testament, wisdom literature, poetry, and more narrative. The Tanakh. So you see, the Bible is not like a single book. It's more like a library full of books. Because, and again, specifically the Old Testament is 39 different books from different authors who wrote different genres like narrative and law and poetry and more. And this library of books tells the story of the faithful love of God. Specifically, God's love to the family of Abraham who God promises to bless all nations through by way of a messianic king, a Messiah, Jesus. And it's this story that Jesus is telling these two disciples about. That's what he's walking through with them. And this story... This library of books is all about Jesus. What is the Bible? It's all about Jesus. God's written word, the Bible, reveals God's living word, Jesus. And to get technical about this, what Jesus is doing here in Luke 24, he's teaching the disciples a new hermeneutic. He's teaching them a Christological hermeneutic. And And this is what a hermeneutic is. Hermeneutic means to translate or interpret. It's it's a particular key that you use to unlock the meaning of a text. It's like a pair of glasses that you put on to read the Bible. And Jesus is explaining all of the scriptures, book by book, to these disciples with a Christological hermeneutic. He is showing how his life, death, and resurrection changes everything and reframes how the entire Bible is read. For example, the command for Abraham to sacrifice his son is reframed for these Jewish disciples because later and now God has sacrificed his son, Jesus, on the cross. The blood of the lamb that saved God's people at the first Passover in Egypt is ultimately fulfilled in the blood of Jesus, the lamb of God on the cross, who saves the whole world. And a Christological hermeneutic is also challenging. It's a radical way in which to read scripture. Because in the Old Testament, it's easy to justify violence. Or war, but through the lens of Jesus, it's a little more difficult. Because he tells us to love our enemies. Jesus refuses to take up arms. And he rebukes 
and even reverses Peter's violence he did to Malchus when Jesus was getting arrested. As we read the Bible through the lens of Jesus, through a Christological hermeneutic, arguments for patriarchy and nationalism and racism collapse. Because a Christological hermeneutic makes love the lens through which we read, interpret, and apply all of Scripture. And I want you to hear that again. Love is the lens through which we read, interpret, and apply all of Scripture. Not politics. Not personal rights or freedoms. Not what we want to happen or think should happen or hope to happen. Love. Love is the lens through which we read Scripture. St. Augustine says the whole Bible does nothing but tell of God's love. And that love is ultimately fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus. What is the Bible? It's all about Jesus. Finally, in Luke 24, I think Jesus shows us that the Bible is authoritative. And in my years of doing ministry, there's, been, there's always been talk about revival. There's always been talk about a personal encounter with the Lord or having a life-changing experience by the power of the Holy Spirit. And listen, I longed for some of that last week as we had a call to respond in chapel. I'm all for response. I am all for revival and encountering Jesus because he's not just a God of our heads, but he's a God of our hearts and our whole bodies as well. So emotions are important in faith and experiences matter. However, I do find it interesting that this scene in Luke chapter 24 is marked less by feelings and phenomena and more by a lengthy Bible study. Pete Gregg, referring to Luke chapter 24 in his book, How to Hear God, writes this. He says, This archetypal encounter with the resurrected Lord is signaled not by dramatic experience, nor by an overpowering emotion, but rather merely by an extensive exposition of Scripture. I can't help but think that Jesus does this. He goes to the Bible first because the Bible is authoritative. It's what our Reformed tradition gets at with sola scriptura, that scripture is sufficient and is our supreme authority in all spiritual matters. Because Jesus knows that a personal encounter or a spiritual experience is insufficient if it is not accompanied by a biblical explanation. And again, I am all for encounters. I am all for God moving. I am all for revival and experience. But nothing that God says in any other way will ever override, undermine, or contradict God's written word. The Bible. What is the Bible? It's a library of books that tells a story. It's all about Jesus, and it's authoritative. But this story doesn't end with Bible study, though. 
Jesus keeps walking with these disciples, and he actually goes to their house. And listen to what happens when they get there. This is Luke 24. I'll I'll start in verse 30. Jesus gets there. He starts eating with him. He breaks bread. And when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Did not our hearts burn within us while Jesus opened to us the scriptures? Something happened when Jesus broke bread and they realized it was him. These two disciples acknowledged that while Jesus was teaching them the Bible, was leading them in Bible study, that their hearts burned. That they felt something. That they experienced something through the written word. Has your heart ever burned? Most nights after my kids go to bed, before I go to bed, I'll go into their room and I'll check on them. And as soon as I I lay eyes on them, it's as if my heart leaps for joy and feels the weight of love all at the same time. There's just something happening within me. Have you ever had some kind of experience like that? Where you felt like your heart was tugged in a certain direction? Or feels full when you're with a group of friends? Or maybe finds peace or comfort in a difficult time? That's what's taking place within these two disciples. Their knowledge of scripture in their head was now beginning to sink into their hearts. And they went from learning information about the Bible to encountering Jesus through the Bible. And Jesus gets at this in John chapter 5 when he tells a group of religious leaders, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, this book by itself can't save you. The Bible is the word of God in written form, but the Bible is not Jesus, who is the living word of God. The Bible was not born of a virgin crucified, resurrected, and elevated to the right hand of God, says Dallas Willard. But Jesus was born of a virgin. Jesus was crucified on the cross on your behalf. Jesus died to defeat the works of the devil. Jesus died for the sake of the world, and Jesus was resurrected. Jesus came back to life so that you and all people may experience his abundant life here and now. And Jesus gave you his spirit to empower you to bring heaven to earth. And Jesus, the ultimate and preeminent word of God, was elevated to the right hand of God to rule forever. And so you can study the Bible and know its story. You may understand that it's about Jesus. And you might live by this book and hold to its authority. But if all of your study... If all of your interpretation and all of the authority does not bring you to Jesus and his saving work, does not bring you to the grace and love and abundant life of Jesus, 
If our reading of the Bible remains in our head and does not connect with our heart and overflow into our lives, well, in the words of Jesus to the Pharisees in John 5, his voice you have never heard. And I wonder how many of us have never heard God's voice in the Bible because we have only read with our heads and not our hearts. Does your heart burn within you as you read the Bible and meet Jesus and his love in it? And maybe you're thinking right now, no, I actually haven't really experienced that before. I know the Bible. I believe the Bible. I like the Bible. I believe the Bible. I read it sometimes. Maybe not as much as I should, but I do read it. And my heart doesn't burn while I read it. I know the Bible's about Jesus, but I'm not sure I've ever encountered Jesus while reading it. I just tell you, you're not alone. That's probably many in this room, and it's certainly me at times too. Because I've grown up in the church. I've, went, I've gone to Christian schools my whole life. And I'm in the Bible a lot for my job. It's kind of required to be a pastor. Some may even call me over-churched. And here's the truth. More times than not, my heart doesn't burn when I read Scripture. It becomes a book that helps me write sermons. It helps me gain knowledge. And it helps me kind of talk shop at theology lunch after uh, chapel. And for you, it might be a book that was used for family devotions a book that helps complete assignments, or a book that's good for the you know, energy shot of the verse of the day. I think too often the Bible has become a book that's more stale than sweet, a duty to read more than a delight to consume, and a book that quenches thirst more than it sets a fire. And when we read this book, it becomes a book more about a dead man when this book is where we are supposed to encounter the living Lord. Jesus. John Wesley, a Methodist preacher, prayed this prayer a long time ago. Oh, give me that book. At any price, give me the book of God and let me be a man of a single book. And that prayer was answered. He went on to ride 250,000 miles on his horse with his Bible, preaching 40,000 sermons from its pages and changing lives forever. And it was at a Moravian Bible study in Aldersgate, London, during a reading from Martin Luther's preface to the epistle to the Romans. He didn't even get to the commentary yet. Like, he was in the preface. And here's what John Wesley famously said. He found his heart strangely warm. And it was this burning heart that ignited the wildfires of the great Methodist awakening. Another Bible study where someone encountered Jesus and had their heart warmed, pierced, convicted, impacted, transformed, or whatever word you want to give it. This book leads us to Jesus who saves and heals and renews and restores who brings life, not just to you, but to this whole world. But we have to read it, not just with our heads, but our hearts also. But how, you might ask? And that's a great question. Because I don't think the problem with our community, I don't think the problem with you is that 
you don't want to read the Bible with your heart. I actually think you long to. You want to meet Jesus in the text. You want to encounter him. You want to read it with both your head and your heart. But I think the problem is no one has ever taught us how. How do I read the Bible with my head and heart? And listen, we're going to get to that more next week on how we read the Bible with our head and heart and whole body. But as we leave today, here's what I want you to know, that reading with the Bible with your head is vitally important. To know the Bible is a library that tells a story. To know that the Bible is all about Jesus and to know that the Bible is authoritative is necessary because we must read the Bible with our heads to understand what's being said. But we also must learn to read it with our hearts, to let God's truth, his written word, sink deep into our heart like it did in the disciples in Luke 24 and John Wesley at his Bible study. And we're going to lean into that next week. But as we close, let me tell you this. I am not pitting the head and the heart against one another. We need both. It's vital. We need both our head and our heart to hear God's voice through the written word. We need our head and our heart and our whole bodies, as the Shema says, to read this book and hear God's voice.